Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. When patients pass outside of the hospital facility, there can be implications for reimbursement and compliance. To help us understand more about this, I'm joined by Angela Horn, Vice President and Corporate Counsel at DCM Services and Forte. Angela is a nationally recognized expert in the area of probate and claimants' rights. She frequently speaks to regional and national organizations, including national and regional HFMA and AHAM venues. Ms. Horn has written articles and been interviewed for national publications, including HFM, Credit and Collections Risk, Fierce Health Finance, Healthcare Finance News, Long-Term Living, and Becker's Hospital Review. Angela, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. So, Angela, your company works with health systems and other providers to create and implement specialty revenue cycle strategies, such as estates and bankruptcies. What does that mean in just a few words? Sure. Um, So, Michael, that means that we work with, for example, a health system to put in place technology that can proactively identify all their patients who pass outside the facility. It's a simple thing that can be thought of as a first step, um, which helps avoid fraud. It avoids less than an optimal, what what we call uh, at DCM, a survivor experience, kind of uh, analogous to the patient experience that most people are familiar with. Um, by removing items from traditional debt collection in that world and putting them in a position to collect the money uh, directly from probated estates, non-probated estates, and trusts, which are very time-sensitive um, creatures. So proactively identifying folks who've passed is really important to that. We help our clients set up processes specifically to locate probated estates and file or present um, the right claim package, which can be a challenge um, because uh, probate courts are found oftentimes at the county level, but sometimes in the city level. And uh, populous counties may have multiple divisions. So there's 3,450 plus courts uh, in the U.S. And so each of them have different rules in terms of what the claim package looks like. And um, with any given estate, any given decedent, we find that an estate can open over time. And it can also open somewhere in about 15 to 20% of the cases other than the last address of record that our client has. So uh, searching for estates anywhere in those 3,450 different locations over the course of several months and sometimes several years um, is a challenge that we work with them to, to meet. Um, and then for some of our clients, we actually help them collect the revenue from those estates. And for others, we help them design programs that they can manage internally to do their own collection. And uh, with the bankruptcy specialty receivable, it's, it's a similar path. Um, the difference would be that you're following federal law and there's, there's less differentiation from one court to the next in terms of forms and procedure. Great. That's a nutshell version. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Let's, let's unpack some of that a little bit. So, uh, you know, the areas where you and your company focus um, as part of the revenue cycle, specifically probate and bankruptcy, w- would you say that's niche? Is that something that most health systems have in place or, or not? That is a great question. Um, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said no. 
Um, and I can't, I can't say it's owing um, exclusively to our evangelism and education in the space, but today the answer, answer is more and more increasingly yes. Um, and I think the reason, again, beyond what we've tried to do to educate the industry is really a result of the confluence of a number of factors, which you, you might even call a perfect storm, um, that are financial and demographic in nature. And what, what those things coming together have done for the healthcare industry is said to every health system that what you thought was a nice to have, this is state revenue years ago, a rounding error, you might've been wrong. And today is really an essential part of overall fiscal health for an organization. It's, it's become that big. So a, a funny uh, anecdote that reminds me of this topic is that 10 years ago, I gave one of my first ever lectures to the healthcare industry on this topic, and I was speaking to Connecticut HFMA, um, and I, you know, it was my first time really letting it sink in that I was talking to a group of professionals whose job it is to prolong life and increase the quality of life, and um, you know, folks in the healthcare industry. So when I started talking about a state, there was sort of a collective gasp among the audience. Um, you know, and we've since overcome that challenge and recognized that challenge, but um, it's been a long journey. And, and where we're at today because of those demographic trends, which I'll just mention briefly, um, they are things like the aging of America, one way to refer to it. The fact that you have a huge population bubble moving into the over 65 category, which the CDC tells us 70% of people who pass come from that category, right? You have that happening. The second thing you have happening is that post-ACA, post-Affordable Care Act, you have plans that have higher deductibles, bigger co-pays, and finally you have a, a trend that has kind of continued as long as I've been paying attention, and many others have been, which is end-of-life care costs um, continuing to go up. I've seen some studies say that more than 70% of lifetime healthcare expenditures, all the money that your average American patient is going to spend on healthcare, come in those weeks and months before he or she passes. So that's that perfect storm that I'm talking about. And that's really what I think has turned the tide from what you might call a niche and just a few really smart providers putting together a strategy. Today, what we see is it's much more the provider, the health system that doesn't have a strategy has become the outside, the person on the outside looking in. Um, insofar as, for example, we work with more than half of the top 50 health systems by net patient revenue and more than 150 others um, of various sizes, it's again becoming more of the norm. So let's dig in a little bit um, around uh, estates and, and how they affect reimbursement. Can you explain sure. that to, to our audience in a little more detail? Yeah, it's not a natural, intuitive thing, um, but it's, one of, it's, it's a beautiful thing in revenue cycle where you find out that you kind of win and win. So what I mean by that is that with, when you collect from an estate, of course, that's a win, right? That's, that's uh, you know, bad debt that doesn't have to be written off. That's essential revenue, which oftentimes is in the millions. This is that, that idea that it's not a rounding error anymore because of that perfect storm. We're talking multiples of millions for most health systems, right? That's the money that you can collect from the estate, but you can also collect as much, if not more, uh, than those millions that I'm talking about annually from estates in the case where there is no estate. And that's because 
of reimbursement. So anything that's eligible for reimbursement um, is required to, uh, relating to a decedent, a, a patient who's passed. CDC and federal law says that a provider is required to search for an estate and document those estate searches in real time and be able to produce them in the context of an audit um, so that they are then entitled to reimbursement. It goes back to the federal law that says that for any bad debt, you know, it has to otherwise be eligible. You have to prove that you had bona fide collection act efforts, and you have to prove that at the end of your efforts, the debt is actually worthless and there's no likelihood of confusion, or confusion, sorry, that there's no likelihood of collection in the future. Um, and all of those things then makes you eligible for reimbursement. What CMS has and auditors have interpreted that to mean in the decedent context is the patient who's passed is that that requires a search for an estate. You search for an estate, you present a claim, you file a claim, you're entitled to payment from the estate. In a case where there is no estate and you've searched for it and you have proof that the court has told you there's no estate, that then is eligible for reimbursement. This is something that has been on the, on the rule book in the provider reimbursement manual and codified in federal statute for literally decades. And we have only in the last few years seen our clients coming to us saying that they're being audited to this requirement. But guess what? The trajectory has gone through the roof. So one of our clients came, gosh, I wanna say this was almost 10 years ago. And they became a sort of canary in a coal mine in the sense that, you know, they told us they were being audited. We had never heard of anybody being audited to this requirement. And guess what? Last year, we had 30 clients for the first time come to us and say they were being audited. And so then we, we helped them provide the proof that, yes, indeed, they did search for an estate and the court did tell them there was no estate. What we've seen from auditors in terms of what is sufficient to prove that um, is typically in contrast to just sort of taking someone's word for it or um, using some sort of algorithm to assume there isn't an estate. So it's really just, it's, it's really just about putting in place a mechanism to search for estates and a mechanism to document those searches in real time such that you're able to produce that in the context of an audit. And we help our clients do that, but that's something that is increasingly going to be a concern for any health system. And, and what do the auditors generally require as proof? So um, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, which is that, you know, historically, I think a lot of health systems would say, if nobody called us or sent us a letter saying, hello, there's an estate here and file a claim here, and here's the case number, um, that they felt um, justified in, in assuming there was no estate. And what auditors have said and what um, CMS has said is that that's not sufficient. Two things really that they require. One is that the answer, no, there is no estate, come directly from the court. The other is that there's real-time proof recorded of the court statement. And so things that they've rejected in the past are statements from a family member saying there's no estate, the reliance on an algorithm or silence, you know, not getting any notice of an estate to mean that there is none. Um, so not, they haven't been super specific in, ter in terms of exactly what kind of proof, but they've given examples, auditors have given examples such that 
um, a letter from the court, a call, phone call to the, to the court that is recorded in real time, um, some other indication that comes directly from the court that there is no estate is, is typically been found to be sufficient proof. Okay. So um, as you mentioned, some hospitals are perhaps already on top of this issue. Others, maybe they haven't looked at it yet or they're trying to figure out what their strategy is. So if, if you were to, to talk with a CFO or, or a VP of Revenue Cycle um, that really hasn't focused on this in the past, um, what advice would you give them? Sure. Um, well, that's a good, that's a very good question. Um, as a very first step, I guess I would do what we typically do, which is I would, as I'm VP or CFO, I would turn around to my PFS team, which is typically the people that I find are managing this type of uh, account or um, episode of care internally at organizations. And I would go to those folks and I would say, those directors and managers of PFS, and ask them, what, what are they doing today? So, you know, a good place to start is just where we started with our discussion, which is ask them how they identify patients who pass outside facility, right? Because it's no stroke of genius to know when somebody passes in your facility, you know, um, kind of table stakes would be that you flag those appropriately and treat them as such. But the challenge becomes then finding folks that they pass outside facility, because as I alluded to earlier, if they don't have a strategy, they don't have a technology or a tool to help them identify those folks, they are not finding out typically for weeks and months, and that puts them in a position to be vulnerable to fraud and also to miss out on their otherwise uh, estate revenue or trust revenue opportunity that they're entitled to. Um, so, you know, if you hear that from your PFS folks, that the way that we find out about people who pass outside facility is in the case every once in a while when somebody calls in and tells us that the decedent has passed, um, if somebody sends us a letter saying patient guarantor has passed, um, these are very common responses. And you can be sure then if that's the answer that um, they are not timely identifying those folks that they should. Um, and so just to kind of follow that same trajectory, another question that you want to be asking would be from there, what, so once you find out that someone has passed, whether they pass a facility or you have some other tool to identify them, what happens next? It's very good to ask an open-ended question because you never know what you're going to get, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and if, if the answer is um, we just close them and write them off, we don't do anything to try to capture that estate revenue, that is not an uncommon response. Again, just like the earlier one. So you hear that and you know immediately that there is opportunity. Um, again, as I said before, a lot of people who don't have a strategy think we're talking about a few thousand dollars. We're actually talking about multiples of millions for most, most, health, most health systems. Um, multiples of millions coming directly from the estate and then correspondingly multiples of millions that they need to learn how to protect from any potential audit in terms of reimbursement. So. Um, Following that kind of bread, breadcrumb trail from what they do when they find out, um, you can also ask questions about, for example, um, so let's say they say um, they completely just write off those accounts and they capture nothing. That's one answer. They might say that they try to find probated estates, 
um, and oftentimes do so in manual processes that are kind of limited. Maybe they search only at one time. Maybe they search only for higher balances. Um, those are all indicators that there is opportunity because, again, because the state's open over time, searching once is going to miss the majority of the states. If, um, if the manual process becomes too costly, which oftentimes it does, and you're only searching on the very highest balances, you're missing out on a huge amount of opportunity, and again, you're not in compliance with the CMS requirement, um, you, you would want to ask, again, if I'm that CFO or that VP of RevCycle, I'd want to ask, what are you guys doing to collect money from non-probated estates and trusts as well? Um, we can find that that'll be um, oftentimes as much of a revenue opportunity as the formerly probated estates, sometimes even more. So, um, and that's, a, I mean, those are three good questions to ask as a place to start. And honestly, for the bankruptcy specialty um, revenue cycle that we manage as well or help our clients manage, it's kind of a similar set of questions, right? You know, how do you identify them? When you do identify them, what happens next? And kind of go from there. It's great information, Angela. If someone wanted to learn more about you or your firm, where can they go? Uh, that's www.dcmservices.com. Um, they can contact us at 612-243-8400. They can contact me directly at 612-384-6210. Um, and they can also find our technology at www.probatefinderondemand.com as well. Angela Horn, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Michael, thank you so much for having me. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.